Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Hello, everyone. Pastor Mike here, the Portable Pastor. Thanks for tuning in again to the podcast. If you have your Bible and you're not driving, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at this thought of making an impact, and we're going to realize that Jesus made a huge impact. We probably already would admit that. I've heard a lot of people say they want to make an impact on this world before they leave it, and and they want it to be lasting and for people to remember them and you know, and, and I question, you know, what do they mean by making an impact? What does that phrase even mean? Uh, I mean, even even a person jumping off a, a tall building is going to make an, an impact on something, right? No sane person is going to want to do that. I, I did just a simple Google search. You know, what is what is making an impact? What does that mean? And I came across a bloggist named Jack Cohen, and he he writes at Just Curious, and, and this is what he writes, you know, that making an impact is a, is a resulting effect, positive or negative, that the actions we take have to change the physical and mental state of others around us, and therefore have the power to change the future path of an individual or a group. Mr. Cohen goes on to say that there's, there's three kinds of impacts. There's a personal impact. We can we we can see that this occurs when when you know we have a an influence or in our immediate sphere of influence you know like our friends or or our family or our spouse like like my wife you know she has a great influence making those sunday meals for our our uh, family i know jack says that there's a second kind of impact known as a community impact and it revolves around the the change that can be made through the actions of a community, you know, like, you know, a neighborhood or a church, a school, you know, a town, something like that, like the impact that our church, FBC Clover, has made at Orphanage Emanuel. Well, a third type of impact is a, is a global impact. This impact focuses on the largest possible group, man, mankind, you know, like, like someone who will become focused on becoming a doctor who will find a cure for cancer and impact the entire world with that cure. Well, when we, when we read today's passage, we're going to see that Jesus made a personal impact on the towns in which he ministered. Now, later on, that impact would have a ripple effect. It would go out and, and change the world. We know that. But in this passage, we're going to see that he made a personal impact on, on the towns where he ministered. Now, uh, just listen as I read Matthew four twenty three, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria and, and they brought him all the sick, those who those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them and great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis from Jerusalem in Judea and from beyond the Jordan so there there's some interesting stuff here there's a, a couple of nails in this passage I want to hammer on for a moment okay the first is that the disciples 
um, recognized that the ministry of Jesus included teaching, preaching, and healing. And they, they wrote about this. We, we all know what healing is. Healing is the, the mirac- miraculously uh, curing of an ailment in another person, right? Jesus did this quite often. I mean, in, in Matthew 8, he, he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law and a leper. And then in nine, chapter 9, he, he healed a, a guy, a paralytic. In Mark 7, a deaf man. In Mark 8, a blind man. And another epileptic boy. In Matthew 17, he healed a lot of people. A lot of people. There's about 30 who are specifically recorded as being healing, uh, being healed in, in the gospel accounts. We know he healed a whole lot more than this, but there's at least 30 that are specifically recorded. Now, remember, his healing wasn't his mission. They only, they only served so that, um, you know, people would have a testimony. Uh, um, you know, he would get, credited as being sent from God. So he was a healer, right? But he was a, a teacher and a preacher too. And those aren't the same things. I used to think that, you know, teaching and preaching were the same. And, and there's a lot of crossover, but they're not exactly the same. R.C. Sproul says this about uh, teaching and preaching. Typically, we distinguish between preaching and teaching. Preaching involves such things as exhortation and exposition, admonition, encouragement, comfort, while teaching is the transfer of information and instruction in in various areas of content. In practice, however, there is much overlap between the two. Preaching must communicate content and include teaching, and teaching people the things of God cannot be done in a neutral manner by which uh, or but must exhort them to heed and obey the word of Christ. God's people need both preaching and teaching, and they will need more than 20 minutes of instruction and an exhortation a week. So there you go. Um, you know, I usually speak longer than 20 minutes, so I'm just, you know, just giving some credit to R.C. Sproul there. All right, well, Jesus was the, the consummate teacher and preacher. We'll, we'll get into the Sermon on the Mount passage very soon in our Matthew series, and we're going to see that 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 sermon is a perfect example of the overlap between teaching and preaching. He was, he was teaching when he gave the disciples the Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5, 3 through 11. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and other statements like that. He was teaching them that certain character traits would bring them joy and blessing. Well, Later on in that chapter, in in verses 13 and 14, he starts preaching to them. Listen to this in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled afoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can you see the difference in that and and the Beatitude statements? Absolutely. You can see exhortation and admonition, uh, you know, and encouragement in, in those things. Now, personally, I, I start out with, with teaching and then I, I slowly get into more of a, a, a preaching mode towards the end of my sermons. That's just the way I do it. Now, Jesus wove it perfectly. Now, not being Jesus, I have trouble speaking that way. Honestly, it's my overly organized OCD brain that wants to organize everything in a, 
in a way that I can understand it, right? But Jesus was a lot more fluid in his style. I love the style of Jesus. Well, sometimes Jesus taught and he preached, you know, outside on a hillside like the Sermon on the Mount. But sometimes he did this more in a, in a, for, in a formal indoor kind of setting. Now, he, we know that he often taught in the synagogue, right? And, and occasion at the, occasionally at, at the temple, but he taught in the synagogues a lot. Now, do you know the difference between those two? I, I didn't. I didn't fully understand it, so I looked into it. Now, the temple, you know, we know what the temple is. It's that huge structure that was in Jerusalem. It was a, a place of formal sacrifices and, and prayers, and of course, the Holy of Holies was there. But when Israel was taken over by the Babylonians, the Jews, they they weren't allowed to worship there anymore. They had to worship somewhere else, so they built these buildings, and they called them synagogues, which is kind of like our church buildings today. And on Sabbath days, the Jews would meet there for scripture reading and prayer and worship. Well, in Jesus' day, the use of these synagogues was, was I mean, it was very widespread. They were mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament. The most prominent record of Jesus teaching in a synagogue is in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus read from that scroll that contained the writings of the prophet Isaiah, remember that? So so Jesus' ministry involved healing and teaching and preaching, and he did it all over the place. Now, another thing that leaps off of this page at us is that the teaching and preaching of Jesus always included the gospel. Jesus said a lot of things about a lot of things. He did. But his primary reason for for doing or for saying those things was to point people towards the truth of the gospel, the, the good news of salvation. And I hear so many people using that word gospel wrongly today, like the social gospel. I really dislike that term. I, I can't stand it. The, the social gospel is not a gospel at all. If, if we can fix the injustices of society, uh, you know, without, you know, demanding that the cause of sin or the cause of that behavior to be dealt with, which of course is sin, you know, if that's possible, then Christ didn't even have to come. So I don't, I don't buy into the social gospel. I don't think we can fix society without dealing with, with sin, but society won't even entertain the, the word sin because that means that there is a right and a wrong, a a good and an evil, and therefore it must be a a person, a a being that defines those things. And they don't want any of that. And so this social gospel, this idea that we need to fix society and the injustices of society is impossible. It's impossible. And so the social gospel and the gospel of Christ are miles apart. And we Christians need to know the difference between those two. Now, I told you what the social gospel is. Here's the real, the true gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. That word gospel means good news. And that that word appears over 90 times in the Bible. Now, it, it can refer to the word of God in general, but usually it's, it's a specific meaning, the good news concerning Christ and the salvation that he offers. Now, it, in, it includes bad news that fixes, <laughs> that is fixed by that good news. You know, the, the bad news is that man is sinful and deserves to be separated from God. The good news is that Jesus came to fix that. So the gospel includes the cross of Christ, where, where the sins of the world were laid on him and he, and he suffered and he died for those, those spiritual in, uh, injustices with God, right? So the gospel includes 
the resurrection of Christ from the tomb, proving that he has power over life and death. So the gospel tells us the good news of Jesus reuniting us with the Father. Now, it can be perfectly understood by reading uh, God's word, especially like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. Listen to what it says. For I delivered to you, uh, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of all, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So in that passage, we see that the good news is that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. His body was was pierced for our transgressions. Isn't that what Isaiah says? His blood was shed for our sins. That's what Ephesians says. He took away our guilt and he gave us his righteousness. He rose again and promises to make us rise from our graves. And when that happens, we can stand before God blameless and and acceptable. That's That's the good news. Christ fixed our broken relationship with God. Now we must know and share the true gospel. This is the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, because the teaching and the preaching of Jesus always included the gospel. Now notice the impact of Jesus sharing the gospel, uh, you know, this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. The ministry of Jesus had a huge sphere of influence, huge. If you look at a an ancient map of of Israel during Christ's day, you you can see some of these areas that are mentioned in Matthew chapter four. It says he was followed in Galilee and the Decapolis or Decapolis. You know, the Decapolis was a, a territory of ten cities, mainly Gentile cities east of, of the Jordan. Jesus was followed there. He was followed in Jerusalem and Judea. His fame went east of, of the Jordan, so that's in the area of, of Perea, and and he had a a huge sphere of influence. From the gospel accounts, we can see that Jesus had a personal impact. He literally changed the lives of lots of people, like like Lazarus, Lazarus and his and Lazarus and his family. He he changed their lives completely. He had a personal impact. He had a, a community impact. <coughs> Excuse me. His disciples preached in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and thousands of lives were changed. He, he had, a, had a global impact. Those 500 disciples who saw, saw him, they went on to evangelize the world. You know, they, they evangelized the lost, and they planted churches everywhere, right? His disciples changed and are continuing to change the world. So Jesus made a lasting impact. Now, let's, let's take this truth of what we just saw and apply it to our lives. How how do we how do how can you make an impact? Well, to begin, you must you must formulate the right theology. Okay, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, but he knew his father, and he knew about his father's kingdom. We must know the same. A proper theology or an understanding of who God is and what he's about that that will serve us as as a basis, a solid foundation for our faith. And we minister from that foundation. That's why we spent so much time last year going through this this theological study. It took us all year to go through that. We had to formulate the right theology or the ministry that we try to conduct. It's going to be skewed. It'll be off-center. It's not going to last. 
But if you want to make a lasting impact, you got to get the foundational stuff right from the beginning. So I say formulate a right theology and work on it constantly. That's how you begin to make an impact because it's not going to last if you don't. The second thing that, that you should focus on is, is, well, you should focus on the gospel. Focus on the gospel. Ultimately, this world's going to vanish, right? It's going to cease to exist. The impact that Christ made on the world will continue, though, because it impacts eternity. Those who heard the gospel and received the gift of Christ, right? He, they're going to continue in the next life. Even when heaven and earth is passed away and is replaced by new ones, it's going to continue. The best thing that we could do right now is to introduce someone to Jesus and lead them to lead them towards salvation. That will alter their life radically both now and forever. If they in turn, you know, turn around and, and introduce someone else to Christ, then then we see the ripple effect from our faith going out, and that takes place. You you've just impacted the uh, the world. You went from personal impact to a communal impact. You're a part of a group that is sharing the gospel. And if that message is traced around the globe and you had a part in it, you can see that you've made a permanent global impact. So focus on the gospel because the gospel is the one thing that's going to last. A third application I recommend to you is to, is to function through giftedness. Function through giftedness. Your spiritual gifts may not include teaching and preaching and healing. They, they, they probably don't. But someone else will have those gifts, and someone else will not have the gifts that you have. That's why God placed us together in a local group with a local group of believers. He calls us his body. <coughs> we work together, right? So you've heard it said, don't try to be a knee if you're a shoulder, right? Be, and by that, they mean, you know, don't, you don't have to be the mover and the shaker of the church. You might be the strength. You might be uh, the faithful one. You might be the doer. You, you got to function within your giftedness and, and point people to the cross with your gift. And when they ask you, you know, why you do what you do, then, then you share the gospel with them. So function through your own, um, your own giftedness. The main idea that I want to leave you with today is to, to formulate a right theology to focus on the gospel, and to function through your giftedness, it's going to impact your sphere of influence. It is absolutely, you can't help it. You can't help it, okay? It's going to impact it more than you know. Even you may realize it when you arrive in heaven and receive your award and see the impact that you made, but you're probably never going to see it here on this earth, but it has to happen. You can't have God inside of you without him poking out everywhere, right? It's going to impact the things that are around you. So I hope that I hope that scratches your itch, you know, for your longing to, to leave a legacy, to make an impact on the world for the glory of God. But you got to, you know, you got to vow to do it. You just can't, it's not enough to just know it. You, you got to do it. You got to work on your theology. You got to share the gospel. You got to use your gifts to further the kingdom, and, you know, and that's how you make a long-lasting impact. Well, that was a short one today, but I wanted you to hear that because that is something that everybody wants. They want to be remembered. They want to leave a legacy. They want to make a change in the world, and that's best how to do it. That's best how to do it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those listening. I thank you that you would give them the, the umption 
to make an impact for the kingdom. And that the people that they win to you will will begin to win others and the ripple effect of their faith will make a global change. God, you've called us to join with you in this work and I'm so thankful you did. Father, bless us today as we looked for opportunities to do that very thing. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for listening today. If you like to start an online conversation, as always, it's a simple email away, mike at fbc, as in First Baptist Church, fbcclover.com. We'll begin that conversation. But until then, come back next week and... Um, We'll, we'll have another teaching. We'll have a great week. Call me or email me if you need me. And remember that God is pro you, very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.